Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Sisters in Colour, the platform where we bring you amazing women from around the globe who um, share their thoughts, their ideas about the spaces and the places that they're occupying. Today, I am extremely honoured to have the amazing author of The Naked You, Nina, to talk to us about who she is, the space that she's occupying, and the journey that she's been on. Nina, welcome to Sisters in Colour. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Nina, I always start our podcast off by our guests introducing themselves. Rather than me ratting off on a bio, I would rather you introduce yourself. So who is Nina? My name is Nina Concepcion. I am the founder and the CEO at the Institute of Conscious Sales. And so I am a speaker, I am a coach, I am a published author. And really what we do at the Institute of Conscious Sales is we empower women to get paid doing what they love in a way that allows them to make money ethically without selling the soul and not being able to step into who they truly are. I'm also a mum of a four-year-old currently. Um, we have a I have my beautiful partner as well, who is the, the father of my child. And I am Filipino. That's my background. But I live in Australia. Excellent. So you talked, you touched on something there that's of real interest to me. And I'd like you to just expand a little bit. Do you think as women, we are having to sell our souls or we have needed to sell our souls just to, to get to where we feel we need to? I think unconsciously we do it whether we are aware of it or not. I think that there is a lot of societal conditioning around how we should be and what is accepted in a in a standard situation. Um, one of the examples that come to mind is being a young female Asian. One of the things that I heard a lot, especially around the dinner table, was not to speak to the adults. So it was this concept of being seen but not heard. And when we, when we think about the history of mankind, women have been tortured and abused and raped and murdered and killed um, for, for as long as you can look back in history. And so the way that I see it is the societal conditioning around how we are expected to show up. And there is also ancestral conditioning from that's passed down from our ancestors with how we're taught. And one of my my quotes that uh, one of the quotes that my mentor shared with me, one of my mentors, he said to me, "In a family full of thieves, the one that doesn't steal feels guilty." Now, the concept behind this is even if we are around people that create a certain reality. As we start to break out of that reality, we feel guilty because there is an innate desire in us as human beings to want to be accepted, to want to be part of the tribe. And so there's there's a bit of a skewed reality depending on who we choose to surround ourselves with and the environment that we grow up in. So you know, I've started listening and watching to a lot of documentaries around, you know, child trafficking and sexual abuse, especially in third world countries. And the reality that these little girls are brought up in is such a different reality to the first world country that I have grown up in. Mm -hmm. And it's so unexpected 
And so out of the norm for them to even question their parents, for them to want something different to what their parents want. And even just from a Filipino perspective, a lot of my family are nurses and doctors. And so when I had the dream of, you know, back in school, I wanted to be an actor and going and leaving real estate and pursuing my new dream of being a coach, a speaker and an author, it just felt so foreign Mm -hmm. um, compared to what the rest of my family had done. And so unconsciously, we end up feeling guilty because we want something different or we think that we are miles apart from what we have been brought up in and what we have seen as normal. That is amazing. Like what you said there is really, really powerful. In a family full of thieves, the one who doesn't steal feels guilty. And that is something that I think all of us can relate to because, you know, there's so many things around that. And so biblically, I'm a Christian and I'm open about that. And I respect everybody's um, values and beliefs and people who tune in and watch this have all different values and beliefs. And this space welcomes everybody because we respect everybody's space. Um, and it, and faith is such a personal thing. Your spiritual journey is just your spiritual journey. This is my spiritual journey and what it looks like. And Nina's spiritual journey is what it is. But I just want to come back to some of the key points that you raised um, in there and around. I didn't actually know a lot about child sex trafficking, to be honest with you, in a third world country. This was something I learned about when I learned how big the porn industry was. Mm. And that was when I moved here. And that's when I learned about it. And so that's not to say I grew up, I probably grew up in a little bit of a bubble just to be, to also be completely and utterly honest. I had a very sheltered childhood, grew up in a very small community. So, you know, I'm probably not a very curiosity sometimes <laughs> of measuring what the average um, person might know. So, in, in my mind, a lot of the times and a lot of the exposure and exploitation of women that you've just highlighted, we enjoy the privilege of living in this gorgeous country, but a lot of the, I guess, the privilege that comes with living in here is also attached to that exploitation factor that you talked about of women of color from because basically the porn industry trafficking, child trafficking is fueled by a lot of these women. And I think um, you said something to me earlier in prep when you said, uh, you know, water carries memories. Mm. And I think that trauma inherently, uh, you know, unites us all as a community, as a collective in that, in that while I may not have personally experienced the trauma that, um, you know, another woman of color has in our, I guess, in because everything is aligned everything is joined right in that space we all share that mm-hmm. that collective um you know responsibility around healing and and that trauma so you have become an author of the naked you now i am just really really fascinated if you hold up your book please and how brave that book and I absolutely adore it it was the thing that attracted me I'm like I have to talk to this woman she is a woman who is putting it all out there um you know this is who I am so what is the naked you the naked you is pretty much a personal development book 
but it is also a lot of my own personal experiences and the lessons that I have taken in my life from, you know, experiencing sexual abuse and healing from that and interviewing the person who had sexually abused me and, mm-hmm. and that's in the book as well. And growing up in a Filipino family, moving from the Philippines at a young age to Australia and falling into real estate and then now bringing that that sales experience but also my take of sales into the conscious community into the the industry of spiritual entrepreneurs and so I truly 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 believe that happiness and fulfillment lies by us being able to be the truest version of ourselves I believe that we I know for me I it's hard for me to say that I have amazing relationships if I don't feel like I show them who I am if I don't feel like I can be all of who I am if I feel like I need to filter what I say and I I believe that by us being able to be who we truly are and accept and embrace all of who we are from our strengths and being unapologetic about how amazing we are but also our vulnerabilities and our insecurities and our imperfections we are then able to decide to step into that and to share that, which is where the business comes into play. And so there is a little bit of business advice and I tie in a lot of business lessons in the book as well. However, it it is a book that talks predominantly about life and how you can take that into your business. So where did you get the courage from to start this journey to heal yourself? Because traditionally when you know when you come from trauma particularly with sexual abuse and I enter this space very um you know with great trepidation and great reverence to you and thank you for sharing that and being so open about that uh because there can be a lot of vicarious trauma uh and that is definitely not the intention uh it's more to educate and understand so if you can take us back to a space you're comfortable to take us back to as to how you arrived at this space and what that journey of healing has looked like from you because you don't go from zero to you know uh, <laughs> to a million like that's a journey and I think you know to yes. people listening and looking at you and you know you're gorgeous you're vibrant you've got a business you've got a book you've overcome this you've managed to go and talk to your perpetrator you've written about it but that didn't just happen no what has been the story that you're happy to share with us about how that got to this space? Yes, Christine, that's such a great question. And please know there is nothing off balance for me. Mm-hmm. I am an open book and I am anything you want to ask me, I'm more than happy to answer. And it definitely was not, you know, an overnight success as people like to think it is. If someone had said to me even, you know, five, six years ago that, this is where I would be now speaking about this. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken at the Child Abuse Prevention Services in Sydney and the equivalent in Brisbane. Uh, and I've spoken on podcasts very openly about what had happened. And I've written about it in my book. I've gone live on my social media. Those were things that I, I didn't, when I was younger, I didn't think I'm going to go out one day and I'm going to talk about it. Like that. that definitely wasn't, a vision or necessarily a goal that I had in mind. But many of you would know that as you achieve goals in your life, when you achieve something that you never thought was possible, your awareness starts to expand and you start to think, wow, what else is possible for me? So where I am in my life now has really been an accumulation over the last 11 years of coaching. And, you know, I was sexually abused about four or five. 
So Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty much a lifetime worth of me leaning into and stretching my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a lot of women that share with me what has happened with them. And I just, I just share with them, please don't feel like you need to go and share it with the world right now. Like the most important, I talk about this in my book, the most important thing first and foremost is that you decide to heal yourself because I am so open to talking about this now because of how much healing I've done and how much work I have done on myself first and Mm -hmm. foremost. Um, But to answer your question, you know, when did I decide to have the courage? It's such an interesting question because I don't know if I actually ever made the decision I'm going to be courageous. I was in so much pain that I, I felt like I had no other choice. So what happened was I was I was sexually abused when I was younger. And as I started to come into uh, being a woman, so um, being a teenager, I started to have dreams. And, and I remember thinking, what, what is this? This is so strange. And it started to become more and more vivid. As time went on, the the dreams started to become more vivid. And I and I remember thinking to myself, are these memories? And I was so confused. But in my dream, I also saw that my younger cousin was also Mm -hmm. in my dream. And at the time, I was 11 or 12. And so I had to wait till the next family gathering. And so six six months or so went past. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, I, I saw my younger cousin, who was about 10 at the time, nine or 10. And I said to her, I really, I really need to ask you a question. This is going to sound so strange. Um, but I, I, I need to ask you this question. And as soon as I said that, I hadn't even asked her the question yet. And she just went pale. She just looked at me like, I don't know if I can swear on the podcast. But yeah, she, of course you can. <laughs> like her face was like, oh, fuck. Like that was the look on her face. And I just thought, oh, no. Um, and I just shared with her, you know, these are the dreams that I'm having. Um, I've seen you in the dreams and she just started crying and I was like, oh no, I'm like, this is a memory that I've mm-hmm. blocked out of my, out of my mind for what, five, six years or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I remember she was so scared because it was a, 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 a distant family friend who had done that to us. And she said, Nina, you can't tell anyone. It's going to break up the family. Like you, you can't tell anyone. And I remember trying to convince her that we need to tell people. And she was just so much in fear. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, 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 you can't. You can't promise me that you won't tell anyone. And so I said, okay, I promise I'm not going to tell anyone. So I went back home and I decided to spiral into depression. I started to physically harm myself. And not because I actually wanted to commit suicide, but because I felt a relief of emotional pain, physically harming myself as mm-hmm up as that may sound Mm -hmm. it was the relief that I needed from that emotional pain and time went past I I think probably another six months went past and I remember thinking to myself even though I don't want to commit suicide right now if I do not talk to someone about this I'm only going to get worse this isn't going to get any better yeah and I remember just being so angry with the world. I was so angry with everyone. I was always screaming at my parents. I was blaming them for everything. And I was always mm-hmm. saying, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. And I remember I was I was arguing with my mum one night and she said, how am I going to know if you don't tell me? And I was like, <laughs> and I, 
I actually ended up writing her a letter. I sat there because I couldn't even tell her. Like I yeah. couldn't speak the words. And so I wrote a letter to her and I told her what had happened and I gave it to her. And oh my gosh, like <laughs> I cried so much. I remember just writing this letter out to her mm-hmm. and she started crying and, you know, she had told me that she'd also experienced something similar, not from the same person, but she had previously. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was my, because it was on my dad's side of the family, who, who mm-hmm. it was. Um, we ended up telling my dad and then my dad told like in the Philippines and in Filipino culture, we have like someone who's like the head of the household. Yeah. He's kind of like the godfather, right? So, um, my dad's uncle was like the head of the house at the time, the head Mm -hmm. of the family. And my dad ended up telling him and then, um, he, we ended up going to his place, but we didn't realize that the, the guy who was the head of the house ended up calling their family the person who sexually abused me and my cousin also my cousin's family and told him over the phone that this is what happened and so yeah and so that's not what we had planned and they and and the the head of the I'm just going to call him the godfather just to to make it easy yeah they're they're all on their way here right now and we were like what like this was not the plan this was not what was supposed to happen and I remember my mum saying I'm going to take you out of here let's go let's get in the car this like this is not what I wanted to happen for you like I feel like we're getting ambushed and because my younger cousin happened to be with this person at the time and his family (gasps) they were all coming in the same car together and in the meantime the mother of the person who sexually abused us is like screaming at my cousin for making these accusations saying why is he saying that this is what's happened and like yelling at her on the car ride over and I just thought to myself I can't leave her like I promised her I wouldn't tell anyone and now everyone everyone knows that there's no way that I'm just going to leave just because I'm scared like that that's just not an option for me and I remember sitting across the road at a park on a hill crying and it was the really the first time in my life that I had to grow up. Like I, I talk about it in my book, like I really had to put my big girl pants on. Like yeah. no one was going to come and save me in that moment. I wasn't going to run away. I needed to face this head on. And I remember sitting there after they all arrived, just deadpan looking at him and just holding myself energetically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he just denied the whole thing, um, which is cutting the story short a little bit, which is why when I decided to pursue wanting to make a bigger difference, being a coach, being a speaker, being an author, this was coming up to 11 years ago now. I remember, it was about nine, about nine, nine, ten 10 years ago now. I remember asking myself, what if, if I want to make the impact that I want to make in the world, what is the biggest demon that I need to tackle? And I remember thinking, I've already done so much healing from that first interaction, even though he didn't apologize, but I, my, my parents took me away from the situation. They're like, we never need to see him ever again. And I just went through my own personal journey of, of healing. But I remember thinking to myself, if I can give this person love just because he's a human being, and if I can forgive him and not be angry and not be sad because I realized that the anger was just hurting me. 
mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to forgive him for me. Although yeah. I was going to give him an opportunity to apologize, but I was going to forgive him anyway. And so before I ended up selling my property and moving to Bali, this is after I left real estate, I remember sitting in the car after I had met with him. And this is the second time, obviously, I had confronted him about this a decade later. And we ended up catching up for a couple of hours, which was actually so healing. But I remember sitting in the car, speaking to one of my best friends at the time. And I was sharing with her, you know, what had happened. And she said to me, Nina, do you realize that you've given him a gift that only you can give him? Because my younger cousin is still very angry. She she says that she's never, ever going to forgive him. And she's she's very much of the mindset, I fucking hate him. He ruined my mm-hmm. life. Like that's very much the story that she's playing out. But I'd, I'd made the decision that I want to heal from this and I want to forgive him and I want to release this anger. Um, it also ended up happening to our younger cousin as well, who was a couple of years younger than her. So again, she was also in the same mindset of we're never going to forgive him. He doesn't deserve our forgiveness. And so you know, when I, when I met with him, he had ended up saying to me that he had thought about committing suicide, that he, he, there hasn't, there isn't a day that's gone past that he hasn't thought about it and felt bad about it. And he'd hoped that he'd be able to apologize. And so it was so ironic that I was quote unquote, the victim, even though I don't see myself that way. And he was the abuser or the perpetrator. And yet I was the one that helped him get healing. And I thought that was just, it was so ironic, but I remember sitting there crying um, just with that realization of, yeah, yeah. I, I've given him something and I that, think, that only I can give him. I think people don't realize the power of forgiveness. I think the um, the best saying I've heard about forgiveness is um, letting go of the of, of the story that the past could have been any different. So I think that's what you did. You let go of the fact that, you know, my life could have been different had this not happened to me, right? You let go of that story, right? And then you stop drinking the poison, which is hating him, which is the whole hatred. And you stop drinking that poison. And then in that, you took your power back because it's a very disempowering space personally I find and every person's journey to healing is different and everybody has to find their way to healing but in any spiritual path or in any um, whether it's religious focused or it's just in that spirituality um, realm or it's in that higher consciousness realm forgiveness and gratitude are at the center of all of that so forgiveness of the past because you can't as much as you want to go back and change yesterday so that you can have a different outcome, like we aren't dress rehearsing anything here. Like, you know, you get what you get and you've got to then say, okay, with these lemons that I've been given, what kind of lemonade do I want to make? Which mm-hmm. is the decision that you've made. And I think you really, I think it was more, you empowered yourself. So now you're not the victim of that story. It's a horrible story. But it's it's an event and a story that's happened in your life. It's not the sum total of your life. It's not the sum total of who you are. Whereas on a different sphere, you find tragedy sometimes does, you know, it becomes overwhelming. And that's why I really wanted to understand how you got the courage to 
make even that decision and that transition. And as you said, it wasn't one thing. There's a book that I love by Jeff Olson called The Slight Edge, where he talks about these agile everyday decisions and atomic habits is along the, the same pathway. So it's it's really about all these micro incremental daily decisions that you can make, you know, that propel you towards something or probably away. So your goal was to heal yourself. Your goal was to own your story. Your goal was to take your power back. So how that was your focus and that was your goal. I just didn't want to feel horrible anymore. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to get to a point where I wanted to commit suicide. I've also got an incredibly strong intuition. And for those people who are familiar with human design, I am a splenic projector. So what I What does that mean? because <laughs> I've um, never heard that before human, human design is a massive rabbit hole um so human design encompasses astrology um I think the the, the Tao Te Ching as well and a lot of sacred texts um yeah. and there's different profiles in human design so there's yeah. a generator there's a manifestor there's a projector and there's a reflector and it doesn't mean that we're not all manifestors, but there's a way in which manifestors manifest. And okay. so as a project, as a projector, um, I am here to help lead generators. So generators are like 70% of society. Generators are like the worker bees of the world. They're the ones who can just literally, like a steam train, just keep going and keep, keep going, going and keep going and keep going. Um, a projector, I think we're about 10% of society, we're here to help guide the generators. So mm -hmm. we work very effectively and efficiently, and we tend to work in bursts of energy. Then you've got manifestors, and I think that's about 5% of society, and they're the ones who create most of the things in the world. Like they're the big creators, the ones that birth massive things. Um, and then you've got the reflectors and reflectors, I think is 1% of society reflectors are people who in, in its simplest form in human design, it's a great way to be able to see where are the areas of your life that you are the most susceptible to conditioning and where mm -hmm. are the areas of your life that you innately know yourself naturally. And so in human design, when you have a defined center, that's typically where you know yourself really well. So even if someone or someone tries to say something in that area of your life, you're like, no, there's nothing that they can really say that's going to change your mind about that area of your life. But when you have an open center, we tend to doubt ourselves a lot more in that area. We tend to listen to other people's perspectives. And so it really takes a lot more work to understand that part of your life. Um, and reflectors are completely open centers. So they have a really, well, you know, one of my friends is a reflector and I said, oh my gosh, you're a reflector. And he said, yes. Yeah. So I'm like, how's that? And he said, honestly, it took me a really long time to, to figure out who I was. Mm -hmm. And it really is because of all the conditioning that they're so open to. And so as a splenic projector, that mm -hmm. means that I have a defined spleen, which is your intuition. So okay. it's how I'm most guided in my life is by trusting my intuition. And so even, you know, when I was, sexually abused it had happened about three times when I started to remember the first time I was like this is a bit strange the second time I'm like no there's definitely something wrong with this I, this does not feel good for me and after that second time I remember making the decision I am never ever ever going to be alone with this person ever again and that was my intuition that told me that mm-hmm 
Um, and so my my two younger cousins didn't have that awareness. And all I mm -hmm. thought about was I'm just going to sit here with the adults, even though I don't know what they're talking about. And even if I'm bored, I would rather sit here. And I remember going and sitting on my mom's lap after the second time. And I remember her being like, why don't you go play? And I'm like, no. She's like, Nina, you're going to be bored. I'm like, it's okay. She's like, yeah. you don't want to play. I'm like, but no. But that's okay. Yeah. yeah. You'd, learned how, you, you'd learned how to self-protect yourself mm -hmm. you've learned how to safety plan if we use domestic and family violence language you've learned how to safety plan and the first person who knows how to safety plan for themselves is the person who who is in that in that situation if yeah. I can just take you on a slightly different bent tell me about your business tell me about your coaching who are your ideal sort of clients like what is the business side of this what does that look like so obviously you've got the book and we've talked yeah. about the book we've talked about the story we've talked about coaching but tell me what the business side looks like yeah. take me what is a day in the life of Nina the businesswoman look like yes well you know because of my experience and what I've gone through in my life as much as I don't feel it defines me I feel I am stronger as a human being because mm -hmm. of what I've experienced and so I'm sure you can imagine it's so natural for me to want to keep people at arm's distance. And I've done a lot of yeah. work around this, but innately I want like for years, I kept people away because I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to get hurt. And so a big life lesson for me that I continue to learn again, like we spoke about at the start of this podcast is how mm -hmm. can you be all of who you are? So there's yeah. that personal development journey of embracing myself about uh, embracing my imperfections and embracing my story and what I've learned from it. And then coming from that energy of empowerment, how can I then make a difference in my business? And so at the Institute of Conscious Sales, which is my business, I am deeply, as I mentioned, I'm deeply passionate about helping women share their story and helping women amplify the impact that they're here to make and make a bigger difference. I believe that business is just a way for us to express who we are. It's a way for us to express our gift, a way for us to express our voice and to make a bigger impact and also make a living doing what we love. And I feel like we really do do a disservice to society if we are doing something we don't love, because we're not going to be anywhere near as enthusiastic, anywhere near as passionate, anywhere near as value-driven when it comes to something that we truly deeply care about. And so at the Institute of Conscious Sales, that's that's what we do. So we have evergreen online courses, we have programs. Mm -hmm. um, my my higher level programs at the moment are very much focused on supporting coaches. So yep. for example, my Conscious Coaching 101 program um, the promise of that program is to become a paid coach within 90 days or less. It typically mm -hmm. happens a lot sooner. The promise is 90 days. And then when you start going to my higher level support, it's very much about making a full-time income. So, you know, mm -hmm. I take clients from not making any money in their business to hitting their first 10K month. And then I mm -hmm. take other clients to hitting their first 10K month, their first 20K month, their first 30K month. And then I have mm -hmm. other clients who are already making 30, 40K months, but I found that a lot of entrepreneurs who have hit a full-time income and have a certain level of success, they kind of fluked their sales. They don't really know the things that they've done that's worked. Yeah. And because I innately understand and know sales, I can literally very quickly figure out what are the small tweaks that they need to make in order to increase their conversions. And so one of my clients at the moment, um, you know, she's making about 30, 40K months, I believe. And her conversions were one in 10, which is 10%. So every 10 mm -hmm. calls, 
um, one sale. It's a $10,000 offer. So with my support, her salesperson, just not even her, but just her salesperson at the moment, I think is at 33% conversion. Oh, wow. So that allows her to bring an extra 20 grand. So if they're having 10 sales calls a week, she's making an extra 20 grand just from increasing her conversions. Mm-hmm. And so you know, a big part of what we do is we help people speak their truth, sell consciously, sell ethically, and then be able to increase their conversions. And I found that another small niche that isn't really taught much in the marketplace is how to sell from stage, how to sell in a group, how to sell on Zoom, how to sell from stage. And so that's another thing that I'm supporting a lot of my clients with is being able to sell to the masses, Mm -hmm. make an offer to a a group context as opposed to one-on-one. But the standard, my standard life, my everyday, honestly, I've been incredibly blessed. Mm -hmm. Um, And by blessed, I I don't just mean externally. I mean blessed because of the decisions that I have made, because Mm -hmm. I would not be where I am now if I had not invested hundreds and thousands of dollars in mentors and in coaches to accelerate my path and accelerate my process of learning and failing and figuring things out sooner. And so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful and I feel blessed because I have had the support to be able to know how to build a business with and really not taking much of my time on a day-to-day basis. So I do two days of client delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays are normally full days with clients. And when I've got mm-hmm. space, I'll normally throw a podcast interview in there mm-hmm. as well. But Wednesdays and Thursdays are typically the days that I work with clients. I am having calls with clients. I'm having group calls with clients. Um, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, typically for family. Um, it's not all the time. Sometimes there's events and stuff happening, but 80% of the time it's with family because my partner also has Fridays off from his job. Monday is just a complete me day. Like literally I do whatever I want and it is just for me to nurture myself. One of my best friends and I actually catch up every single Monday for breakfast. And it's one of it's honestly one of the most nurturing things that I have in place for myself every single week where we can just talk about life, we can talk about business, we're laughing, we're crying, just everything. Um, And I absolutely love her friendship. And on Tuesday, it's a little bit of a, I will do whatever I want for myself day, but also a little bit of a catch up day as well. And I normally, um, but half the time, I also have a meeting with my team. Oh, wow. I love that day. I'm going to take a page out of your book and find a day in the week where I just nurture and breathe into myself because I think, and I see this particularly with um, women of color, where mm. basically we, um, we're we taught to always put ourselves second, mm. right? And this is women in general, right? Because I know some of our listeners, uh, we've got a broad listener base, right? So this is women in general, right? But specifically with women of color, because you've got that intersectionality and with diversity and inclusion, the marginalization or the, the level of abuse of, um, of gender a comp- compounds as you put more and more um, intersectional factors against it, right? So if we're just focusing on gender and we're focusing on race and ethnicity, right? And we put that over it, that layering over it, in terms of how you're taught to be quiet, in terms of where you're taught, where your voice is, where your place is. So, you know, as an African woman, you as a Filipino woman, you know, you're taught that you 
you're not taught to speak up. You're not taught to put yourself first. You know, if I remember growing up, people would visit our home and, you know, we would have to give up our brooms and we would have to give up our beds. And it was always in gendered order as to who did it. The girls did it first before the boys had to give up their rooms, right? The girls slept on the floor, the boys slept on mattresses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's just those little things that you start to remember, right? If there's cooking, if there's hard physical home stuff that needs to be done who does the heavy lifting around the house the women do 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 all of that right and who does the heavy lifting out in the fields to go and plant um you know crops for the, to feed the family if you're a subsistence farming family a lot of times out of 10 it's the women and in africa you've got these images of women um you know and i grew up seeing them with children on their backs and you know a big pot of water coming mm-hmm. from a water well you know, on their head and they're balancing it and they've got a, a, a newborn baby on mm-hmm. their back and maybe they gave birth like a week or two ago. And like <laughs> you and I have had kids and we know like I wasn't doing anything for weeks. I was like, I need to recover. So that yeah. sense of really taking care of yourself, I think is something that as women and particularly women of color, we don't put ourselves on that pedestal that we are worthy of taking care of. We think our worth comes from taking care of others. And I remember um, Iyanla Van Zandt, um, she used to present on Oprah, once said, it's not selfish, it's self-full. It might be Oprah herself. It's self-full to love yourself. So when people say to myself, oh, you're so selfish, oh, you're so full of yourself, you know, it's it's not in the negative way that the world is looking at it. So Monday, for you, I'm, I'm, I'm really taking a leaf out of your book and finding a day in the week where I just do me because I don't, I don't have that. I don't have that practice. And that's really honoring and centering and filling your, and sort of filling yourself. Now, Nina, what is the impact you, you want to have in the world? What is the change that you want to see? Hmm. I would love to see a, a massive societal shift in the way that people see sales. Mm-hmm. Um, sales is one of the most hated occupations and one of the, the most scary things for a lot mm-hmm. of people and a lot of entrepreneurs. And I really feel that when we come from a place of integrity and we come from a place of genuinely caring about people, then all of the negativity around what people think around sales just will fade away. I also really believe that we have come to a time where sexual abuse and child trafficking, I believe is so outdated. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. it needs to be in the history books. It's not something Mm -hmm. that should be happening in, in the time that we live in now. And so I, I know a big part of what I am here to do is do my part, however that looks, in eradicating child abuse and sex slavery. That is a big, big, big mission because for me, human dysfunction sits at the core of that. Like for me, you know, I used to work in the community sector when I was in public service. I used to work on homelessness and work quite closely with child safety. And although child trafficking is very different, child safety is um, an area, not an area I've worked in, but an area I've worked alongside in my work around domestic and family violence and my work around homelessness. And I know how huge 
that that space is so that you know I just respect mad respect for you in terms of turning your pain into purpose and really going into that space because it is it is so needed particularly in our multicultural community a lot of child abuse goes unreported it goes untalked about uh you know your your cousin's initial reaction that we can't share this oh my god we can't talk about this I remember those who are Zimbabwean who are watching this will remember there used to be an advertisement on TV that was raising awareness of child sexual abuse mm. and you know and look no offense to the men whose name is John out there I know you're perfectly respectable I'm just reiterating um, an advertisement that was on TV where it it used to say have this child you know, go to their mother and was struggling to find the words, like what you said about, you know, what they'd been through. And all the child could say was, it's Uncle John, it's Uncle John. And the child would just would just cry. And that was raising abuse because a lot of the times child sexual abuse does not happen with strangers. The monster mm -hmm. isn't out there. The monster is usually somebody who's close, who has access, somebody who's trusted, who's in a position where if they're alone with a child, nobody's questioning it, you know, mm -hmm. nobody's looking left, right and centre. And so the child then carries this burden of, you know, having to feel that they've done something wrong and keeping that inside of them. So I think you really stepping into that space with your lived experience and how you've come out on the on the other side, empowered in a way that you're able to use it as fuel for good. You're able to um, get to a place where you could find forgiveness and gratitude. I think, you know, you're just going to do amazing things and I'm going to be following you obsessively um, <laughs> to, to get to know, to get to know more. But Nina, I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on here and sharing your story, sharing your truth, who you are and what you're doing and the consciousness and light that you're bringing, like the energy that I felt just being around you through Zoom, like you've got this lightness and this aura about you uh, and just really want to spend more time in just in just your space and, and I've really really thoroughly enjoyed it I've been smiling all throughout um you know just my talk with you because you come across as somebody who you've been through a lot but you're not carrying that heaviness there is a massive lightness um about you you are getting on with life you're living life and that is that is wonderful. That is just so amazing. And I wish you nothing but success in everything that you do. Now, where can our listeners find you? Where can they get a copy of the book? Uh, we'll definitely, when we post the podcast, put links. But just let, uh, let the audience know where they can get hold of you and how they can get hold of you if they want to work with you. Perfect. So the easiest way is probably social media. We've got um, Instagram and Facebook. Both of them is Nina the Naked Coach. So Instagram is at Nina the Naked Coach. And you can get a copy of the book at www.thenakedyoubook.com. Whether you are overseas or whether you are local to Australia, it is available in both places. And the Kindle version is also available. And I will be recording the audio book later this month. Oh, wow. Can't wait. I want, I want the audio book because personally, I want to hear you tell your story. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the audio book. That's going to be, uh, you know, what will be playing in my car as soon as that is out. But thank you so much, Nina. Thanks so much for showing up and really, 
you know, sharing. And as you said, nothing was off limits and you really shared. And if anything that we have discussed has raised any sort of uh, trauma within yourself, if anything that we have discussed has triggered you and you are looking for help and you are looking for support, we will put some resources up on um on on our page as well where you can go to and get uh and get some support and get some help but really our intention is to bring powerful stories that help to change lives and i think today we brought another powerful story from nina and i really want to thank everybody who's joined us i want to thank our sponsors utano consulting i want to thank everybody who's listening please as usual leave your comments um in the section below follow us if you're not already on spotify or wherever you download your podcast until next time Goodbye from Sisters in Color.